Hello and welcome to this latest Hollywell Trust Conversations podcast. My name is Jared Dean and I'm joined as usual by Paul Gosling. Paul, how's things? As good as ever, Gerard. And you? Yeah, dead on. Dead on. Sure, we can't complain. This is our second last of this series, so we're nearly That's there. That's correct. Yeah, nearly there. All right, so in this penultimate episode then, Paul, what are we talking about? Uh, Derry as a university city. Uh, but before we get stuck in, uh, I need to make a couple of personal declarations of interest. Okay, no bother. Work, work away. Now, a few years ago, I was the coordinator of the campaign group University for Derry. Uh, our aim was to have a full-sized university campus in Derry with 10,000 students or more on campus. Our preference was an independent university, which we believe would become a realistic option once Ulster University's McGee campus grew. An alternative arrangement would be the reorganisation of the university sector in Northern Ireland along the lines of the University of London, within which self-governing campuses operate. Anyway, we didn't get what we wanted, and we still have McGee at around half the size of what might be regarded as a full-size campus. Now, my second declaration of interest is that I work for Ulster University on a part-time employed basis from March last year until the end of January this year. That employment is now finished. Okay, so now you have all those declarations out of the way, Paul. Can you set the scene for us? And it's a, it's a long history here. It is, and it's a complex one, and it's a frustrating one. Now, for all the people in Derry, this goes back to the Lockwood Report in 1965. Now, that examined the case for a second Northern Ireland university to operate alongside Queen's University and to be physically distant from it. Now, four locations were considered. One of these was McGee College in Derry, which at, uh, had originally been a Presbyterian theological college. Now, the other options were Coleraine, Armagh, and what was then the planned new city of Craigavon. Now, the recommendation was Coleraine, as I think all of us know, but that caused an uproar regarded as a slight on the city with allegations of sectarianism. Now, it should be said that those involved in the decision denied that. Incidentally, I once interviewed Sir Kenneth Bloomfield, who was the former head of the Northern Ireland Civil Service and Secretary of the Cabinet at the time, and he told me that the politicians of that time wanted to close McGee completely, but he persuaded them not to do so. Okay, so take us forward 60 years to today then. Yeah, uh, so we've got three universities in Northern Ireland, one of which is Open University, which here supports part-time study. Now, Queen's University has 25 students in Belfast, of which 17,000 are undergraduates and 8,000 are postgraduates. Ulster University has 30,000 students spread across its Belfast, Derry, Coleraine, London and Birmingham campuses. There are over 5,000 students at Derry's McGee campus, with plans for this to rise to 6,500. Okay, so tell us a wee bit more about the student situation then, Paul. Yeah, now according to the Department for the Economy, Northern Ireland has slightly under 70,000 students, that's 70,000 students in higher education institutions here. That includes some students at the six regional colleges, including the Northwest Regional College, and they, uh, some of those are studying on degree courses. There are also two university colleges, Strand Millis and St Mary's, that are delivering teacher training. Uh, breaking down students by place of origin for the 2021 year, 71% of students were from Northern Ireland, 4% from Great Britain, 3% from Republic of Ireland, and 21% were non-EU international students. And that figure has been rising quite a bit in recent years. All right, I think there's a lot of effort put on by all the 
colleges and universities to do that. So given that situation, Paul, here, how do we compare with other parts of the UK? Yeah, so while Northern Ireland has 70,000 higher education students, Wales has more than twice that number. Scotland has more than four times that number, while England has over 2.3 million higher education students. Now, England's population is 30 times the size of Northern Ireland's. So our student population should be about 77,000 greater, up to about 77,000, if it was equivalent to that of England. Mm. However, if it was equivalent to Scotland, we would have nearer 100,000 higher education students in Northern Ireland. So that explains why Northern Ireland exports more than a quarter of its students to British universities every year, two-thirds of whom do not return. Now, one factor is that Northern Ireland, unlike England, subsidizes tuition fees for local students, which in turn limits the number of local students. That's what we call the maximum cap or maximum student number. Okay, uh, well here, there's been loads of chat about maximum cap in the past. What's the situation regarding student numbers in the South then? Yeah, now the Irish Republic has over 250,000 higher education students. So the Republic has slightly fewer university students than Scotland, which is in keeping with it having a slightly, well, yeah, smaller population. Okay, so loads of stats, loads of numbers there, Paul. Um, I'm pretty sure that people listening to this will be wondering about McGee. What's happening there? Yeah, so as I say, we've got more than 5,000 students at McGee, uh, which we can also call the Derry Campus, and that tends to be what Ulster University calls it now. Uh, that number has not grown massively. Uh, the really good news is that after a major campaign, we now have more than 200 students at the medical college. Uh, the reason for that is the shortage of GPs in the West, and it's hoped the students who study here will go on to work here. Okay, and the Irish government has supported McGee as well? Yes, uh, it's provided 44.5 million euro of capital to improve teaching facilities. That will reportedly enable an additional 1,800 students at the Derry campus. Now, the Irish government has also provided 10 million euro to support 250 student nursing and midwifery places, of which 200 will be students from the south and 50 from the north. Those numbers will be split between Queen's and the Derry campus of Ulster. Ireland is also subsidising Irish students at Derry's medical school. Off the back of these developments and the transfer of most life and health studies places to McGee, Ulster University expects student numbers in Derry to grow to 6,500 places in the near future. Okay, and I know the local university was also a key part of the, the city deal. Yeah, in 2021, a city deal was agreed between the British government and the Derry and Strabane District Council for £250 million. Since then, inflation has been very high and the funding is cash limited, which means the higher costs resulting from inflation mean that the scope of the city deal will be narrowed. One element of the city deal was to have been two new research centres at McGee, a new centre for industrial digitisation, robotics and automation, and a second centre doing analytics research. Now, to save money because of the inflation impact of recent years, those are now being merged, so they'll be closed they'll be located in new buildings on Strand Road opposite and adjacent to the council offices. Okay, so as always, we've got a, a couple of experts on to talk about the issue. Paul, who have you interviewed for this podcast? 
Yeah, so the, the first interview is with John Daly, the economist at the Northern and Western Regional Assembly. And for those who don't know that organization, it's an agency that promotes economic development in the Donegal, Sligo and other Northwest counties within the Republic of Ireland. Now, I began by asking John how many students there were in similarly sized cities in Ireland and how Derry compares. We would have made a presentation as part of the John and Pat Hume Foundation, kind of looking at, I suppose, the the regional impact of kind of higher education in uh, regions such as the, the Northwest. So it's actually quite interesting because obviously the economic challenges of the Northwest are quite significant. And while higher education is not the only route in terms of addressing those challenges, it is obviously going to make a, a significant uh, uh contribution. So when you actually look at, say, for example, uh, the census data, say, Northern Ireland 2021, and then you start comparing, say, cities and uh, settlements, say, for example, with uh, the corresponding data in Republic of Ireland since 2022, you see some quite stark kind of disparities in terms of the level of higher education uh, students in each city. Uh, relative to our populations. Let's give your listeners some examples here. So in census 2022, uh, Limerick City, which is around the same size as Derry City, uh, has a population just over 100,000 people. Uh, Limerick City's higher education institutes uh, has enrollment levels of uh, uh, just over 30,000 uh, full and part-time students as per the, the latest uh, figures. And then when you look at so another city of similar size to uh, Galway, uh, which is obviously a similar size to Derry as well. Uh, that has a population of overall 85,000 people and its higher education institutes has a higher education footprint around just over 27,000 people as per the latest figures that were provided uh, to me by the Higher Education Authority. Yet, when you compare that to Derry City, which of course, obviously, we know when you take into account the kind of wider environs of the of Derry City, its metropolitan area, has around a population around 100,000 people as well. Yet, in complete contrast to Galway and Limerick, it has just over 5,000 full-time and part-time students in the McGee campus in uh, Ulster University. Therefore, it's obviously clear Derry City, obviously considering its size and its part to the northwest uh, uh, region's uh, economy, clearly needs to obviously uh, have ex uh, ex an expansion in the campus, obviously, the student population is nowhere near in line with, say, the cities of similar size in the Republic of Ireland. But even when you contrast this, say, for example, even towns in the Republic of Ireland, I mean towns, we're talking here, say, for example, uh, just 20 minutes down the road, the regional growth centre, as we call it here, of Letterkenny. Uh, Letterkenny is about population around 20,000 overall. Uh, yet it has a, a student uh, size in terms of the ATU, the Atlantic Technological University's at Kenny campus of around 4,000 odd students. And I mean, again, uh, Letterkenny is about five times smaller in terms of population size compared to Derry City, yet it is nearly the same higher education uh, footprint uh, in comparison to Derry City. And obviously, that's leading obviously to the significant economic challenges, which we would have highlighted at the Hume uh, Foundation and we can discuss if you if you want, Paul. So would it be reasonable to say, John, that given the size of Derry compared with the other Irish cities, whereas plans for Ulster University to expand McGeet up to about six and a half thousand students, you would actually be expecting it to be no less than, say, 20,000. 
of full and part time together for a, a city of very size in comparison with the rest of Ireland? Oh, I think, uh, I mean, look, the uh, obviously the aspirations were outlined by Ulster University in regards to obviously increasing the student population, as you know, to six and a half thousand, obviously under the New Deal uh, 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 agreement that was uh, obviously a number of years ago. That aspiration was 10,000 eventually. Uh, but I think considering the size, I suppose, of Derry City, considering the, uh, I suppose, the uh, employment uh, composition and the kind of uh, importance of Derry City as a, an agglomeration economy and supporting not just uh, Derry City and Saran local government district, but the wider northwestern region of the island of Ireland, obviously the likes of Donegal, Fermanagh, Oma, etc. It's fairly obvious that there needs to be a sizable uh, expansion beyond the targets that are already uh, been outlined, as you said, by Ulster University itself and obviously under the, the New Deal agreement. Considering its population size, you would be expecting that it would be reasonable that a, a city such as Derry City, and considering its parts of the wider regional economy, should have a minimum aiming for at least 20,000. Now, obviously, that's easier said than done. And of course, efforts that are being undertaken at the moment to expand the university are to be welcomed. And ultimately, they are beholden, obviously, to the, the investment levels that are ultimately provided through uh, the Department of Economy and obviously via uh, Starmond and obviously additional investments that are being provided through the Irish government. Uh, to the uh, shared island fund, which of course are extremely welcoming, but nevertheless, this this ambition needs to be risen a lot more because ultimately we're seeing that the lack of investment in higher education or their infrastructure assets, just to be honest, in terms of the the wider northwestern region of the island of Ireland on both sides of the border, we're seeing these levels of underinvestment are contributing clearly to rising uh, uh, regional disparities. In uh, on both sides of the border, and uh, just for example, when you look at say the levels of disposable income per head of population in the northern western region of the Republic of Ireland, so that's effectively counties all the counties down from Galway uh, up to Donegal and across to Monaghan, we're seeing that uh, the disparity between this region and the Greater Dublin area has risen notably in terms of disposable income uh, uh, per head of population. Uh, and likewise, in Derry City and Saran, local government district area, uh, you can see that uh, disparities over the last uh, 10 odd years have effectively remained unchanged, despite the fact that Derry City is the second large city in, the, in Northern Ireland, one of the largest cities on the island of Ireland. And uh, that's quite unusual that it would, uh, a city region uh, would have below average levels of disposable income per head of population. For example, the Republic of Ireland. Dublin, Cork and Limerick are all above the state average in terms of disposable income per head of population. Obviously, considering the, the economic benefits associated with agglomeration economies or uh, probably more informal terms of the benefits, the economic benefits associated with cities, you would expect a, an area such as Derry City to be above the uh, Northern Irish average in terms of disposable income. We, we obviously haven't seen that to be the case. And underinvestment in higher education is just one element that's kind of, I suppose, explaining that trend. Yeah, that that comes to the crux of it, doesn't it, John? What what could we expect reasonably to be the benefit for Derry through a significantly larger university campus in the city? Oh, it's a, it's a enormous spot. Like I, I can't underestimate that. Like higher education, particularly obviously universities, are central to generating uh, agglomeration uh, economies. And just for your listeners' sake, agglomeration economies, as I said is effectively the economic benefits that are associated with well-functioning uh, cities. And they're ultimately key 
uh, to addressing regional disparities according to research uh, from the OECD. Uh, just to give your listeners a sense of what would an actual, I suppose, uh, uh, a, 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 a stronger, more robust uh, uh, university bring Derry. The obvious example, obviously, most people would think comes to mind is obviously increased footfall around the city and the, obviously the economic impact of that in terms of spending by students is obviously universities obviously associated with more vibrant social life but obviously more impactful benefits would include everything from skills development uh, upskilling and reskilling opportunities which is obviously central and kind of a, a very much is a knowledge-based economy which modern western economies obviously have come over the last number of uh, decades obviously would have a major impact as well in terms of supporting uh, research and development and obviously that allows for innovations in terms of product services and obviously processes as well. And the more innovation takes place locally, the more likely that is to stick to the local and regional economy, likely to benefit in terms of, say, productivity gains for uh, local and regional farms as well. But other kind of tangible benefits as well, and obviously it provides obviously a platform for uh, universities that is in terms of, say, the arts, humanities, cultural activities, obviously provides kind of a buzz around the city and that shouldn't be dismissed as well in terms of attracting uh, high skilled workers as well which again would attract uh, inverse high skilled uh, 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 firms but collectively Paul again it just leads to greater productivity levels greater clustering and specialization inside of cities which again leads to uh, the attraction of more high value firms which ultimately and most importantly leads to income gains for ordinary citizens on the ground uh, on average and I think that's the key in point here is that while market economies would show that somebody has been below the average in terms of disposable income per head of population, considering the size of Derry City, considering its partners to the wider region's economy, I think it is a fair expectation that we should be aiming to have Derry City and Straban having an above average level of disposable income per head of population uh, in the coming years, because ultimately it's going to bring up the uh, overall economic standards and uh, well-being of uh, the wider region around the, the city. As you say, John, uh, Derry and Straban have lower average pay, they have higher levels of economic inactivity and higher levels of unemployment compared to the Northern Ireland average and absolutely compared to the Irish average. It, would you say, is it fair to say that uh, skill levels and average skill levels are a, a central factor to that, that Derry has got lower levels of skills and therefore it leads to lower average pay and higher levels of unemployment. Mm. And ultimately, like economists like to look at all these kind of different economic indicators, but ultimately economics and economic well-being of regions really down to two factors, financial capital and human capital. And ultimately, human capital is the kind of obviously the collective measure of skills, qualifications and knowledge of uh, the knowledge, the collective knowledge of, uh, of an individual's uh, regions. And unless that uh, human capital stock is supported, unless we can keep students in the region, and that is an important point back to the university, is that uh, with the research has shown you're far more likely to stay in, uh, uh, settle down, and, uh, gain a job in the region in which you study in, uh, if compared to, say, for example, uh, without that university presence, you're more likely say, to navigate uh, towards say, Belfast, Dublin, or even Northern Ireland's case, more likely to the United Kingdom's a notable sizable level of research has shown uh, an element of brain drain, not just in the likes of Derry, but also 
in the kind of border counties but in on the other side in terms of the republic of ireland so a knowledge-based economy it's clear that this kind of human capital profile of Derry has to be improved because otherwise we're not going to be able to generate uh, significant levels of obviously qualified uh, uh, skilled workers who would obviously uh, are needed for high value firms uh, in supporting of course sustainable economic uh, development going forward. Now you've been speaking and talking about this as a challenge. What would your opinion be as to what the city of Derry can do to take this argument forward? What should we all as residents of Derry be doing? Yeah, now I think this kind of comes back to what we kind of spoke about at the Hume Foundation. That was kind of the, the third recommendation uh, we talked about, which is kind of uh, exploring the possibility of uh, achieving greater levels of regional autonomy, both in the Republic of Ireland and in Northern Ireland. Because ultimately at the moment, the mechanisms for which like uh, stakeholders in Derry City have to uh, uh, deliver change is primarily through obviously, of course, it's MLAs, and of course, it's uh, MPs because obviously considering the centralized nature of uh, obviously Northern Ireland's governance structure through Starmont and the similar situation as well in the Republic of Ireland in uh, through the uh, Rochtas or Dáil Air. Because ultimately, in the case of the Republic of Ireland, 9% of all government spending in Ireland is attributed to local and regional government spending with the remaining, obviously, uh, percentage allocated from uh, alloc- uh, source from uh, central government. So it goes to show how centralised the government system in the Republic of Ireland is, and likewise, a similar situation holds, of course, in Northern Ireland. So ultimately, it's about advocacy is the first rule of call, Paul, anyway, in the sense that we have to kind of create a collective voice in terms of the need for supporting these kind of infrastructure assets and make a collective case uh, to our MLAs and to our MPs as a means of addressing these uh, kind of disparities. Now, there's other areas you can focus on as well, I think unless regional autonomy is improved, ultimately we have to advocate through our central government uh, departments. But other areas, say for example, we would have highlighted Northwestern Region Assembly, say in our pre-budget submission in our uh, budget 2024 uh, via the Department of Finance, we would ask for a, a cross-border uh, stimulus package to be delivered for the wider northern western region of the island of Ireland. These kind of stimulus packages should be developed on a phased basis whereby disposable income per head of population or GDP or other appropriate economic metrics would fall below a certain level. These uh, regional stimulus packages would be automatically required to be developed and implemented in kind of weaker regions, such as, for example, the, north, the wider northwestern region of the island of Ireland. Now, there's other regions as well, of course, uh, say, for example, the Midlands and the southeast could make a similar uh, case. But then uh, finally, Paul, as well, just in terms of your own listeners as well, I think this is a part consultation I really would highlight uh, to themselves if they wish to make their views known as a collective group in terms of the stakeholder engagement. And that's the forthcoming review of the national planning framework. So the national planning framework is effectively an investment, uh, a statutory investment framework in the Republic of Ireland that aims to address uh, regional balance by basically building up the likes of, say, uh, Little Kenny, uh, Galway City, Sligo Town, Athlone, and other kind of key urban centres outside of the Greater Dublin area. But obviously, considering the uh, developments of uh, Brexit, and obviously considering the focus now on a more all-island economy, there's going to be a great focus in you know, on kind of how do we coordinate uh, with the likes of the local uh, government districts in Northern Ireland and supporting the development of uh, uh, Derry City, so uh, or the likes of uh, Derry City. So I would really strongly recommend that your listeners uh, make their views known as we'll be hoping for a, a strong dairy vice 
uh, to be uh, made clear in the consultation because ultimately where policy is developed, uh, funding uh, should uh, uh, follow. And what's good for Derry will benefit Letterkenny, will benefit the likes of Sligo Town, but also in the likes of you know, Skillen and the wider northwestern region of the island of Ireland. Because ultimately it's the biggest city by a mile in the northwest of the of the of the island, and uh, unless we can uh, uh, fully develop that city, we're not going to see economic level economic uh, development trends occur in a manner that we want to see. And in a sentence, what you're really saying, I think, is that we should think less as Derry and Straban in an isolated sense, and more as the capital of the northwest region, cross border. Absolutely, if if you were to remove all of the borders of the and the border mindset uh, on the island of Ireland, uh, there would be a lot more investments uh, kind of guaranteed towards or uh, directed towards the likes of uh, Derry City, because ultimately it is a huge, it is a sizable urban centre of scale. It has the uh, population to warrant greater levels of investment until we can uh, develop Derry City. Uh, we're not going to develop the wider northwestern region of the island of Ireland, and that's going to lead to greater regional inequalities in the island of Ireland. Okay, so thanks to John for that. Um, I must say, I find that really interesting and useful. I, I think the figures are stark when it comes to student numbers, and particularly in Summerlin Science cities, and shows how far behind we are. Um, who else are, have you talked to, Paul, for the podcast? Yeah, um, the second interview is with Jerry McKenna of the Royal Irish Academy. The Academy is a long-established higher education institution. It is cross-border and, in fact, predates the creation of the modern Irish state, hence its royal name. And as you all hear Jerry explain, Ireland's Shared Island Fund has commissioned the Academy to examine higher education coverage in the Northwest, taking a cross-border perspective. I should add that Jerry is a former Vice-Chancellor of Ulster University, or as it was at the time, University of Ulster, a point we touch on in the interview. Okay, so let's listen to Jerry McKenna. About three years ago, we established the Higher Education Futures Task Force to look at uh, higher education on the island. Uh, and uh, that uh, involved uh, setting up five uh, subgroups, one looking at the sort of vision for higher education into the next 20 years or more. Uh, second one was about, uh, you know, values and, and uh, the importance of those in higher education but its role in society. Uh, we also looked at uh, uh, equality, diversity, inclusion, uh, research, uh, innovation uh, across the island, but also uh, the whole issue of regions and place. Uh, and uh, that uh, particular report generated quite a lot of interest. Uh, and uh, one of the outcomes of that was that we noticed particularly, and we observed particularly, uh, the uh, disparity in higher education provision and the uh, lack of support, uh, historic support for the Northwest in that respect. Uh, it also applied to some extent to the uh, to the uh, uh, southeast of the country and, and indeed uh, the Southwest, but those have been redressed to some extent by government actions and, and establishing technological universities. Uh, and of course, there is the technological university uh, in uh, the uh, Atlantic Technological University, which uh, covers uh, Mayo, uh, Sligo, and, and Donegal. But uh, we were particularly exercised by that disparity in various ways. Uh, and uh, one outcome was that uh, under the Shared Island Unit uh, New Foundations Programme, 
uh, we received funding to look at the question of the Northwest and cooperation, collaboration in the region uh, and uh, to make some recommendations. We're still working on that, but we would expect to report on that in, in March. There are some clear things that are emerging, uh, which I think uh, would be fairly obvious to most observers from the Northwest. Can you touch on any of those? Uh, yes, uh, there's still some work to be uh, completed, and of course, uh, we also subject our work to external review, etc. So there could be further changes there. Uh, but I think one of the the key points is that you can't look at higher education in isolation, uh, and uh, you've also got to look at the supporting infrastructure in a region or wherever higher education is, and. Uh, it's very clear that the Northwest uh, is also se severely deficient in infrastructure. You think of road and rail, for example, and you look at the map of Ireland, you can see how depleted the Northwest has been in that respect, both in terms of provision of motorways, but also there's really very little rail support uh, uh, across the Northwest and, and uh, across the border from Sligo to uh, to Derry, uh, et cetera, uh, or indeed the west of Northern Ireland. Uh, and these are also important factors in, in uh, developing a region. Um, but then when you come to higher education, uh, you, you will see again the disparity uh, in Northern Ireland in terms of university places uh, relative to other places on these islands. So, uh, you know, 83% of, of uh, university students in Northern Ireland are, are uh, based in Belfast, which is in sharp contrast to, for example, the island uh, as a whole in, in the Republic, 40% are Dublin, which is high. Uh, but then you go to uh, places like Scotland, 27% in Edinburgh, Wales, 37% uh, uh, in Cardiff, uh, England, uh, just over 20% in, in London. And uh, that uh, concentration of higher education, Belfast, is, uh, I think, something that uh, really ought to be addressed and ought to have been addressed. Uh, and it's not just, the, it's not just the numbers, though, is it? It's, it's also about the topics that are being studied. I mean, did you reach any conclusions about whether there was the right spread of disciplines for the strength of the region? Well, we, we, we were obviously very conscious about university autonomy in that sense as to what is offered. Uh, but our view would be, I think, that... Uh, if you increase the numbers significantly, then inevitably the, the range of disciplines would increase with that uh, and, and be uh, viable. And uh, if you take the, the Northwest as a whole, there is quite a good range of, of uh, disciplines. Uh, if you take in the Atlantic Technological University, as well as Ulster uh, at McGee and, and Coleraine as all part of the Northwest, uh, we also feel that you should be including Caffrey, for example, and Skillen there, the Southwest College, the Northwest College are all part uh, of that and, and major players. So I don't think there's a massive problem in terms of disciplines. Uh, there is a problem in terms of places and numbers of students. And if the numbers were to increase significantly, then I think it's inevitable that there would be a, a broader spread of subjects as well. Is it within the remit of your study to suggest how that might be addressed, given that this is a cross-border challenge? Well, uh, uh, we're looking at the, the, the possibility or we're suggesting that there ought to be an examination as to whether a cross-border institution 
uh, might be established. I mean, there is the the the, the Northwest Tertiary Education Cluster uh, in place, and, and that is commendable. It involves uh, uh, Ulster, and it involves the Atlantic Technological University and the Northwest uh, College. Uh, uh, but we think that should certainly also include uh, the uh, College of uh, Agriculture in Enniskillen. It should include the uh, Southwest Regional College, etc. Uh, but we're not sure that that body, as it exists, uh, has enough oversight or to actually develop the, the scale of higher education uh, and tertiary education generally for the area without some degree of independent oversight. Uh, I, I think we will be making the point that it's a little unfair to expect the institutions themselves to uh, determine higher education policy for a region. You do need some degree of independent involvement that includes the governments, includes the politicians. Uh, and I think there's been a bit of, uh, well, shall we say, passing the buck in a sense, saying, well, this is what the universities, this is what the colleges do. And, uh, you know, they're autonomous and uh, we don't have any role. Uh, but politicians do have a role. The spatial distribution of higher education and research is a government and, and political issue. And... Uh, we, we believe there should be some oversight. I mean, we have made the point more than once, and uh, not just in what we're doing now, but in the past, that Northern Ireland, for example, is the only uh, region within these islands that doesn't have a higher education oversight body. And uh, you know, we would tend to believe that if such a body had existed, uh, we would not have the same degree of concentration of, of higher education students in Belfast, for example. Uh, an issue there about you know, social cohesion, social development, uh, and, and uh, you know the potential for civil unrest, etc. Uh, and uh, that we think is an oversight. But we we do think that it is asking too much to expect the institutions themselves, however positive they may be, to actually develop and come up with the, the strategy for the region of the Northwest. Would it uh, have been, be would it have been of, better, uh, Jerry, well, in hindsight, if the Good Friday Agreement had set up, set up a cross-border institution for higher education? Yes, uh, we were never entirely sure why that wasn't uh, part of the uh, one of the cross-border bodies. Um, uh, the argument at the time was that uh, you know things were going very well north and south and higher education, and uh, you know a body could actually lead to problems rather than, than not. I, I never personally agreed with that, but uh, I think uh, that, uh, you know, I certainly think that for the Northwest region, there does need to be a cross-border entity uh, to plan and develop and to uh, you know, push and cajole and force government on both sides of the border to accept their responsibilities. We certainly haven't ruled out and we think it should be looked into, the possibility of that being done through a a cross-border institution, uh, which would include all of tertiary education. Uh, and uh, such a federal type arrangement uh, could, for example, uh, involve each jurisdiction paying for its bit. Uh, but nonetheless, there would be that degree of oversight, which certainly has not existed and we don't think is in place at the moment. Now, you were commissioned by the Shared Ireland Unit. Will your recommendations be going to one of the institutions with, of government within Northern Ireland, as well as the, the Republic's government? Yes, well, I mean, we, we will produce a report uh, 
for the shared island. But the, the report will be a, a public report produced by the academy. And we would certainly be uh, intending to pass that on to uh, the relevant departments in, in the North as well as uh, in the Republic uh, and to the relevant ministers. Thanks, Jerry. And indeed to, the, indeed to the British government as well, because this is not just simply a, a you know, a, you know, a local issue. It's, it's, it's a major issue that has been uh, left in abeyance for, for we feel too long. And indeed, the British government has got obligations it entered into as part of NDNA, didn't it, in terms of uh, specifically the McGee campus? Uh, yes, and indeed, uh, the previous Secretary of State did actually say positively, wouldn't it be good if there was a, a cross-border university? Uh, for some reason, that wasn't picked up to any great extent, but because uh, he included it with other remarks, that perhaps more controversial. But... Uh, uh, it would be an example of goodwill in a way between the, the two governments if, if uh, something like that was attempted. Uh, but we do feel that it does require some major initiative, uh, a step change, in other words, uh, beyond anything we've seen before, which has tended to be, uh, you know, bit by bit uh, and reactive rather than proactive, uh, I would have to say. Thanks very much, Jerry. This is uh, much appreciated. Um, one final thought. Uh, you, you're a former vice chancellor of Ulster University. Do you feel some regret that you weren't able to to achieve more in terms of expanding McGee when you were vice chancellor? Well, I, I, I would like to think that uh, it did expand considerably when, when I was vice chancellor and, and certainly uh, we made considerable strides in terms of uh, research there uh, during my time, and and generally speaking, uh, any additional numbers that we were given tended to go to uh, the northwest. So, uh, and and I would say that followed in a way in the footsteps of the previous vice chancellors. It should be remembered that the University of Ulster, when it was established uh, by the then direct rule government in 1982, uh, they decided that they would merge the Ulster Polytechnic and what was then the new University of Ulster. And a major factor in that was expansion in the Northwest. And certainly for a considerable period of time, uh, that was very much a priority for the university. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and that certainly would have continued during my time. Uh, whether we did enough is always a question. Uh, there's never enough. But I think we're now in a position, given the development, for example, of the Atlantic Technological University, which I think is very exciting and very positive, there's a real opportunity to have uh, a step change in terms of higher education in the Northwest. And Derry, obviously, within that, uh, is in a pivotal hub position and, and can be the key location, and in one sense, the central location. But it needs to, I think, uh, look beyond the city and look at the region as a whole. Uh, and we have made the point that, uh, uh, as has been made by a number of very eminent economists, uh, you know, beware of the revenge of uh, uh, regions that don't matter. Uh, and we think of, for example, uh, you know, the Rust Belt in America. Uh, we think of the north of England in terms of Brexit. Uh, and uh, these regions do matter. And it's important that a region is allowed to develop and maintain its character. Uh, if you look at a number of indices, you'll be well aware of them. 
in terms of population growth, uh, the Northwest lags, in terms of GDP, uh, the Northwest lags, uh, in terms of disposable income, the Northwest lags. And uh, so that's why we're saying it's not just about tertiary education, it's about a general view in terms of the development of the region and that needs central planning and a genuine commitment by the government. Right, so thanks to Jerry McKenna and before that to John Daly as well. But Paul, I, th I think there's a few voices missing from the conversation and, and this podcast. Yes, I've been in contact with Ulster University, offering them the opportunity to appear on this podcast if they wished. Instead, they gave us a statement. They said, Ulster University remains completely committed to growth at our campus in Derry, Londonderry. Substantial levels of investment, including from the university's own reserves and surpluses, will be made into the campus in coming years. There are more students on our campus in Derry, Londonderry than ever before, and we will continue to expand student numbers so as to, with our partners, continue to grow our already very significant contribution to economic and social impact in the whole of the northwest of the island. The university added that city deal monies have been secured to deliver specific research and innovation projects. The funds cannot be used to directly fund student activity. It added, the university plans to use its own funds to underpin the development of skills pipelines through the construction of additional teaching facilities in Derry, Londonderry, including in the city deal subject areas of focus. Okay, so that's the statement from Ulster University, and I think it's positively shaped and welcome. Um, but you did mention a lobby group earlier on in the episode there, Paul, um, the Derry University Group, and they've been pushing hard for a new university here. Yeah, I mean, there was a lobby group some years ago, University for Derry. Now there's another lobby group called the Derry University Group. I contacted them. They declined our invitation to be interviewed for this podcast. Okay, so we got all the voices around or represented on this podcast that we could. So that's it for the latest edition of the Hollywell Trust Conversations podcast. And we're nearing the end of the series. But as ever, you can listen back to all previous 16 episodes uh, by the, through the Hollywell Trust website. So thanks as ever to the Community Relations Council for the funding of the project. And thanks to as well to Jerry and John for taking part and to Paul for putting on all the hard work and carrying out the interviews. So we'll see you again soon. All right, good luck.